Welcome back to another horror pod class. Today we discuss a film you might have missed, Brian Bertino's 2016 monster movie named, quite aptly, The Monster. Specifically, we want to take a look at what it gets right about alcoholism, what ideas we can take away, and why horror can be a unique vehicle for these types of stories. And Tyler talks about trains. Welcome to the Junior Year, Episode 4 of the Horror Podcast. My name is Tyler, and I am the Editor-in-Chief of Signal Horizon, and a teacher at a local high school here in Kansas City, Missouri. Signal Horizon is the go-to place for smart genre programming. For all of our coverage, check out SignalHorizon.com, and I'm joined tonight by our co-host and book editor at Signal Horizon, Mike. Mike, what's the news, man? Hey man, did you know that I am, I play one really, really mean game of uh, Ticket to Ride? Oh, we, we were actually playing that at the bar that is also a board game place uh, here in town. It's called Pond and Pint. It's fucking awesome. But yeah, whole family played it. It was great. Yeah, yeah, it's a good game. It's a good game. And hey, a, a bar where you can play games sounds pretty freaking cool. Oh, it is. It is. Can't beat it. Having fun uh, with your family only gets easier if you can drink through it. Speaking of drinking, we're going to be talking about uh, talk, oh, talking about alcoholism Shit. today. So yeah, excellent, yeah, perfect, all right. perfect. We we will uh, we will keep the uh, booze talk to a bare minimum. Yep. Probably not. Uh, yeah, trigger warning. Yep. Sorry. All right. So hey, man. Before we get there, what are you reading? What are you watching? What are you interested in this week? Okay. So a couple of things. Number one. The studio sent me, it's Warner Warner Brothers Home Video, sent me a preview copy of the Banana Splits movie. Um, you can check out my review. I'll have Mike link to it. Dude, it's, it's weird. And the longer I spend away from it, the more horrifying it becomes. It is, it is a strange, strange horror movie that operates in a very, like, traditional horror movie way it's just the big ass puppets are, are terrifying so uh i would i think it's good with a big question mark i think i maybe uh it was certainly fun so a movie that i know i'm 100 percent sure i know is good is the new larry fessenden uh movie depraved which uh you can also check out my review of i freaking loved it it is a new frankenstein movie like no frankenstein movie before has some anti-war stuff and if everything holds out, we're going to have um, Fess on to talk about his newest movie. So that'll be great. Sweet. Fantastic. Yeah. All right. What about you, bud? Oh, well, I, I went back. Uh, I've been reading some Kathy Koja. Uh, I read a book called Strange Angels that she put out in, I think, early 90s, like 1994. Last week, we were talking to John Lang, and, and I think John Lang is just Totally awesome. And that Larry Fessenden movie we we're talking about is early 90s. I just love the early 90s. So picked up. Um, I love Kathy Koja. I had not read Strange Angels yet, uh, but it's a it's early 90s novel. And oh, I just I just loved it. But the big news coming up from her is that she's she's got a new um, single author collection coming out relatively soon. I think this year and then next year, the reprint of the cypher is coming out. Have you ever read the cipher? I have not. And one of our, um, 
one of our book reviewers, Carson, I think that's his favorite novel. And so he uh, has tried to get me to read it a handful of times. I, I need to move it up to the top of my to-be-read list. For weird fiction, it is an absolute essential essential text at this point. But the weird thing about it is that uh, you can't get it in hard copy. Like the old copies are like, it, I mean, it's paperback only. Um, mass market paperback, these things cannot be found. They go for like, I don't know, 50, 60, $70, way much, way, 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 way too much to, to, to go out on the used market. So it's going to be awesome that people who don't read eBooks, cause there is an eBook of the cipher out, um, that are not indie reading eBooks will be able to pick up, uh, you know, a brand new copy of this. Cause this is something that should, so, should never be out of print. Uh, because this movie or because this podcast is not, you know, Michael's going to tell us the entire plot behind a book in an hour and a half. Can you give us like because I want to know what the book is about. Can you give us like a 30 second to a minute summary of what it's about? So it's two, uh, two, three kind of artists living a kind of almost fringe existence right from the beginning, though, you get introduced to. Uh, what's called the fun hole, which was going to be the original name of the book until I think it was Dell. I'm pretty sure Dell was like, no, 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 we, 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 we ain't going fun. <laughs> we can't we name can't it that. the fun hole. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it is this kind of hole in time and space that they drop things into. And then weird stuff happens. It's like the quintessential weird novel where there's this thing that's like never really explained. And then all the other, and all the characters are kind of like bouncing off of each other and bouncing off of this weird event and weird happening. It's uh, and it is, it is fantastic. I mean, I, I've got, that is that, that sounds bonkers in a, in a pretty great way, I think. Yeah, no, it's, it, it, it is, it is, it is a bonkers story. And Kathy Koja's writing really, really makes it. She's got a, way of handling like like punctuation and the natural flow and like rhythm of of the written word that is unbelievable it is it is like nothing that i've ever read and i think the cipher she does it the most in she does it some in strange angels but not not quite like cipher i mean it is it's it's a it's a really beautiful book to read Although, all although right. nothing in the book is really all that beautiful, so that's that's another one of those, one of those weird um, kind of things that happens with with novels. You know, you're like, oh, the writing in this is so beautiful, but it's not necessarily. A, it's about things that are like dirty and grimy and like, ugh, you know. So, whatever. It, hey, it's awesome, man. That's a yeah. That sounds that sounds super great. I'm gonna. I'll I'll have to check it out for sure. All right, man. Uh, before we move on, we have just a few pieces of housekeeping. Because we are recording, and it is September 2nd, right? It's the second day of spooky season. There are a couple of events coming up that Signal Horizon is going to host. And we would love it if you are uh, one of our local audience members, if you check us out. Uh, either September 18th, which is going to be the start of a reoccurring film series that Signal Horizon, along with uh, our writer, our writer buddy Oren Gray, are going to host at Screenland Armor. So the first Weird Wednesday will be September 18th, and we are doing a back-to-school night. Teachers get in scot-free; doesn't cost you anything, 
And for the first 20 customers, we are going to have school lunches that we are handing out. Uh, super kitschy, super fun. But we're showing one of my favorites, which is the faculty. And not not exactly weird in the grand scheme of things, but it's got some weird, like, squiggly stuff at the end, you know? Mm-hmm. So, good enough. Good enough. Yeah, and I think we'll, we'll be more on brand, I think, uh, moving forward. But then, uh, October 23rd, we are hosting a ghoulish evening uh, with our friends at Afterward uh, Book and Bar, right? Uh, they do great stuff over there, and uh, we're gonna read some. We're gonna read some spooky stories. We're gonna have a costume contest. It's gonna be an absolute blast. So yeah, check out uh, Afterward Tavern and Shelves. Super exciting! Super exciting! I, I I'd, I'd love I'd love to help you out, but I'm many thousands of miles away, so. You can tell a a spooky story in, um, you know, Ecuador for us, right? Yeah, sure. I'll I'll, I'll look something up. I'll look something up. That's all I ask. All right. All I ask. All right. Cool. Cool. All right, buddy. You picked out our dark corners of the web this week. What uh, What have you got for us? Dark, 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 dark corners. Corners of the web. Okay. So we usually like to champion small authors, small press, and... We are not backing down from our roots, but perhaps the horror movie of not just this season, but the next or like the last five seasons probably is it volume two. And it's coming out this Wednesday. So to celebrate, it may be the only time that the the master shows up on the dark corners of the web. But uh, you can check out a great early Stephen King story called The Mangler at Bain.com. B-A-E-N.com. We'll have a link to it. It's a great story. And uh, I think you uh, you think it tangentially links to tonight's episode? Oh, I think so. A little bit. I mean, Stephen King has written quite a bit about, I think, his own alcoholism, right? At least, at least um, the... Uh, the Shining, right? Yeah. Oh, you know? absolutely. So, and I think I think it's important too. Like, if you're if you're somebody that doesn't really read a lot of you know short fiction or horror fiction or whatever, um, a good good entry point would always be, you know, Stephen King. I mean, that that's that's who got me into horror fiction when I was like twelve, right? I mean, I was reading oh yeah reading Skeleton Crew, Night Shift, and that kind of stuff, and I was like, oh, this is really cool, and then kind of kind of started me on the way. So I don't read a whole lot, a whole lot of his stuff anymore, but you know, it's probably because I've read it all. Yeah, I really feel he's got a new one coming out. I think called the Institute that I would love to take a look at, uh, but I, you know, it, it's just not out there yet. I know there are some uh, arcs available, but you know, I've got I've got too much other stuff right now. So, yep, I hear you. All right, so are you ready for tonight's main topic? Let's do it, dude. What is our essential question for today? Our essential question for today is, can the 2016 movie The Monster teach us something about alcoholism? I bet it can. I bet it can. You know, man, I had not seen this movie, and uh, I hadn't really ever heard anything about it. You said you loved it. You uh, you told me to go watch it on Netflix, where it's uh, streaming. Um, it was, it was, a, it was a, it's a A24, A24 picked it up or whatever, and then probably sold it to Netflix. That's how this kind of thing works. Yeah, yeah. that sounds about yeah. right. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, 
I was really impressed. I thought it was a great movie. Yeah, it. Uh, I I watched it when I was uh, at Zombie One Hundred One. Right, it was like uh, I I compiled this list of movies that I got to see when I have the the spare time to do it. And because it's such an intimate story, and because the and, you know I don't want to spend too much time talking about the movie because we'll get to that when we're at, when it's actually time for the movie. But I just it's so full of fucking heart and emotion that it like took the wind out of me, man. It it was it it, it was a pretty special movie, I think. I tend to agree, but hey, man, let you you want to keep it like like we normally do a uh, a podcast in three acts. Let's do All right, it, man. We're going to talk about the theory. In this case, we're going to talk a little bit about um, alcoholism, right? And then we're going to talk about the movie and how and obviously how much we both like this movie. And because uh, it was you know it was directed by Brian uh, Bertino, Bertino, not Brian Boitano, mm-hmm. but Brian Bertino. No. Uh, who did uh, the Strangers, right? So, yep, both of them. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, cool. So, and then we'll and then we'll try to apl- see what this movie has to say about alcoholism. Sound good? Yep. All right, I love it. All right, let's go. Sweet man, sweet. Okay, let's talk about alcoholism. So, man, okay, you've got you've got a whole bunch of stuff on here about oh, like st- stuff. stuff that I read in college and in, in a psychology class, I think. Yeah, I mean, cognitive so, model and oof. Yeah, yeah like uh, this is gonna sound super fancy. It's really not. Uh, there are two kind of competing uh, theories or ideas about alcoholism. Uh, one is the behavioral model that explains alcohol abuse as um, any any type of learned behavior. Um, there, there's operant conditioning. There are reinforcing elements to alcohol use. And all of those things create the habit. The cognitive model explains it uh, more in terms of automatic thoughts, which precede the person's uh, more identifiable feelings about alcohol. So, uh, like, there's a lot more uh, rationalizing in the cognitive model. Like, I deserve a drink because I've had a really tough day. Or, you know, this is the thing that I need to reward myself with. And what happens is uh, it becomes this consistent relationship in the cognitive model and that consistency creates the the habit and creates the the disorder the disease if you will Hmm. yeah i mean i think that there's 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 quite a few different you know like just ways of looking at it and uh, i know i know that like aa and the 12-step model is is definitely has a particular way of viewing alcoholism right yeah if different um behavioral uh, you know, uh, or uh, therapeutic kind of models are going to have different ones, um, and I think I think that's that's pretty I think that's pretty interesting, right? That that there's there, nobody really has a good finger on nobody can say exactly like this is what it is. So yeah, well, and I mean to be a hundred percent real, those two competing theories of alcoholism can both coexist and like. I don't know, both you and I drink, and I don't want to speak for you, but I can, like, both of those models are kind of like sirens in the the ocean. I can see that. I could see how, like, I love hanging out with my friends and going out and having a drink and having a great time, and how you start to associate those, you know, feelings of, of 
you know, happiness or whatever with drinking. I totally get that. Yeah. Like, I think that makes absolute sense. And then the other, which is Jesus. I've, I have had that exact conversation before, you know, like, oh my God, it was a tough day at, you know, tough day in the classroom. Uh, I, I don't normally have a drink on a Wednesday at five o'clock, but God damn it, I'm going to do it today because I want to or whatever. Yeah. I need to, you know? Or that, that so. was that, that was a tough before lunch. I think I'm just going to, you know, take a little couple nips before the af- before the kids show up in the afternoon shit, and I have to shit. teach it. Yeah, I know. I hear you. I, yeah, it, it, yeah, it yeah, 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 yeah. So, so, uh, so I say right before they fire me. No, no. I, I, I think what's important, though, is both of those are signs of like signs of somebody treating themselves. And I think that kind of self-treatment is important. And and I think as we get into the movie, we can talk about that even more. But, you know, when I was, I have some anxiety, right? And so my, my doctor was talking about anxiety, drugs, and, you know, whatever. And his big, his big thing, he's kind of a holistic guy, which is fine, you know, whatever. I have better living through chemistry, so, like, give me some, I don't, you know. But he's like, look, man, you probably should talk through some of that stuff, because this is just like having a drink, you know? Like, it's it's just a downer, you know? It's just a, a way for you to medicate, which is totally fine if you don't think it's a big deal. But maybe it is if it's causing you some problems. And, and I think... What's important is that sometimes we put alcoholism on this different pedestal when it's just another drug that I think a lot of people use in the same way that we use lots of drugs. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I mean, I think to 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 look at it from kind of a cultural and uh, standpoint. I mean, how do we deal with or how how do we look at alcoholism in? Or in the fiction that we write, right? Because, because the the alcoholic is 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 in many ways kind of a trope or an archetype, right? Oh yeah, hundred um, percent. And I I think it's interesting when you really kind of kind of start looking at it. You know, like one of the most popular shows of all time between Mash and Friends was um, was Cheers, right? Which is a show about. Everybody in a bar, but nobody gets drunk. Right? Yeah. I, I mean, I think Norm does on occasion. Somebody's <laughs> got to drive him home. But. I know, but it's but yeah, but it's not. It, it's not. It's not very realistic, you know, because these people are probably all alcoholics, right? Oh yeah, if they spend every night at a goddamn bar for three hours, a hundred percent. Like like, as much as I would like to believe in a world where. They go to Cheers, you know, and it's like the the song. I, this would be a great time to insert it in there because it's got like the best theme in the entire world. We'll get you sued, know? man. We'll totally get sued. But yeah, I know everybody Dead knows your name, and yeah, I know I hear right. you. Yeah. Sure would help a lot. Wouldn't you like to get away? Sometimes you wanna go where everybody knows your name. Yeah, like, uh, I, I want that place, but that place ignores the reality that it only feels like that place when you're like six beers in, you know? Yeah, yeah. That's not, that's not wonderful. Yeah, I mean, it just, it, whenever, whenever a character in, 
in a television show or movie or book is an alcoholic. That is a very significant part of their character. Whereas I think a lot of people are alcoholics. They don't see it as a nor as like a important part of their character many times. Oh yeah. You know? So, well, and that this is probably a pretty good time to talk about. Um, the national Institute of health has different stages of alcoholism. So the first is early stage alcoholism, and this is drinking to relieve stress, finding reasons to drink, showing a rise in tolerance and drinking to feel, quote, unquote, normal. And my guess is that most of us have done one of those things at some point in time. Like I get nervous in social situations, right? So if I can have a drink in a social situation, I loosen up. Mm -hmm. I am drinking essentially to relieve stress. So it, uh, you know, I, I think early stage can apply to a lot of different people in a lot of different ways. Their next is middle stage. This is alcohol dependence. It's drinking to avoid withdrawal, drinking in secret and behaving unpredictably. This would be the, you know, where your uncle falls asleep in his mashed potatoes at Thanksgiving dinner or, you know, something like that, that, you know, clearly is not not normal. But also, I, I say that somewhat in jest, but I think, I, I don't know, it's a pretty rampant problem that I don't know about you, but I can think of at least a few people in my own family that have had middle stage alcoholism. Mike? Oh, totally. Yeah. I, and I, I, I think when you said f fall asleep in his uh, in his mashed potatoes, uh, I was uh, I went on my honeymoon to uh, a Beautiful, beautiful, and you fell asleep no, in your mashed no, potatoes. A beautiful, beautiful uh, Jamaican resort, and it was uh, it was all inclusive, uh, including drinks. And this guy showed up, and he had a bottle of Patron, right? Oh, and he was no. and he was like, oh, he's like, your tequila is terrible. Who wants to do Patron shots with me? And I <laughs> thought to myself, I was like. I do not want to be drinking with the guy that brings his own Patron to an open bar. I, I just don't, I, I don't, I don't that's want That's not I, good. I, I, that, that, that's not good. Right. And sure enough, by dinner time, you know, him and his wife and all of their friends were there eating dinner and he literally fell asleep in his soup. He passed out in his soup and she was just like, Oh, you know, he does that sometimes. And I was like, Ooh. that's gotta be embarrassing. But you know, yeah, yeah, I I think that happens, especially on vacation, too. People overdo it. But yeah, uh, so yeah, um, the last stage is obviously late stage alcoholism. It's physical and mental health problems, poor diet, job loss, uh, typically expulsion from school and your relationships suffer if you don't lose them in their entirety. Yep. So something that we're going to get into later that I'd like to just throw out kind of right now to kind of get you ready for it is that one of the things I think that I think that fiction and in our culture doesn't do very well with uh, in in depicting alcoholism is that any kind of recovery from from alcoholism or drug dependence or or, or anything like that it's a lot of hard work right yeah. it's a lot if you've ever known anybody that's in that's that's in AA it's a lot of work right and it's a long-term thing, right? And that isn't something mm -hmm. that is very that can be encapsulated very well in a movie, right? Yeah, I, I think it's hard to show passage of time. I think it's hard to show. I mean, 
I think that there is a, a certain amount of the like day to day mundane like I'm not I'm not going to drive by the bar I used to spend my nights at, you know, like I'm not and it's a lot of those kind of small restructuring choices that help you I think what our fiction does sometimes is try to convince us that it's it's purely uh, a matter of fortitude. You know, like if I if I just have the willpower to not drink, then, you know, things will be better when our science, when addiction counselors all kind of talk about a complete restructuring of your life so that it's not just to have the willpower to avoid those difficult situations. It's avoiding them completely. You know, it's not saying no. It's it's never putting yourself in a position to have to say no. Mm. And I think that is an important part that, you know, our fiction is just not super interested in sharing. That's true. That happens with a lot of things, though. A lot of times you'll find, like, uh, something that seems to be a... Uh, maybe an older kind of an outmoded kind of way of thinking kind of creeps back in to fiction or through fiction simply because I don't know whoever was writing it or whoever was directing it or whatever, like just didn't really think about it, you know, and yeah. they just kind of like, well, I like, kind of like slid yeah. back in this other thing that like, you know, we know that it's not true, but you know, it makes, you know, it makes a much more compelling it's an story. Easy, yeah. It's easier. It's an yeah. easy storytelling device. Yeah. 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 Yeah, uh, that's true. So hey man, so, let, let's let's get to this movie, man. Because I, yeah. I think I think this movie is probably I I would say probably one of the one of the best outside of a Hallmark film um, depictions of of an alcoholic parent. Yeah. Oh, I I think it is really good, and what I think it does a fantastic job of is portraying both the mother and the daughter as unique individuals that despite how fucked up she is, you know, mom is that they still have a relationship and they still like, she still loves her daughter. She's just a total train wreck. You know, it reminds me of another movie that came out. It's not a horror movie, but it's a fantastic film called the Florida project. And Oh yeah. 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 It's, uh, I, I think it's important that like to for movies to treat people that suffer from alcoholism or drug abuse or whatever it may be like as as human beings, you know, and that's what I tell my kids in the classroom all the time. They'll be like, oh, my God, my, you know, my mom or my dad are so mean and blah, blah, blah. And they did this thing that was just awful. And sometimes it's the kid being like, you know, dramatic. And sometimes it is awful. And as long as it's not like criminal, obviously, because you got to report that. But if it's just like a bad decision, I'm I'm really glad that no one judges me on my poor parenting decisions, because I know I'm sure I've made a few. And I remind my students in the classroom, like, hey, man, your parents are humans, too, you know, and it will be amazing, like having that conversation down the road because they'll they'll realize they screwed up, you know, and, and I think the way that. Zoe Kazan treats, you know, mom or Kathy in this, you know, I think that's her name, mm-hmm. uh, is fan fucking tastic because you know she cares about Lizzie. You know that. You're right. You're right. Um, I thought that maybe she was a little bit young at the beginning of the of the of the of the, of the movie when I first saw her. I thought maybe she was a little bit young, but then. Uh, Boy, as it as it goes on, it's like ah, she was a great pick, great pick for this yeah. movie. Yeah, 
Yeah, and I and I think that's intentional, right? Like, uh, clearly, this was not the most, you know, planned arrangement, you know? And she's, you know, Kathy is growing up as well, you know? So learning to deal with all of those doesn't excuse her behavior, but it, it does give us insight into why and how she is. It doesn't make her any less... Like, horrifying and destructive, though, you know? Like, god damn, you just feel for Lizzie, who's played phenomenally by Ella Ballantine, mm-hmm. who I, I, I just think is, uh, like, they're essentially the only two people in this movie, really. The, I mean, there's the tow truck driver, and there's a few other kind of peripheral figures, but I, I don't know. They carry this movie on their backs and do a fantastic job with it. I mean, I thought I thought the tow truck driver was one of the best tow truck drivers I'd ever seen in a movie. But, you know, you're right. They're essentially the only two characters. Um, so this movie, I think, does a lot of things right. And one one of the things that I think is 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 important to do is to um, maybe not pick out the things that the movie does the best, but rather pick out things that the movie does better than others right so i think okay. like, like i think the i think the monster is really good in this in this in this movie oh it's fantastic it's fantastic but there's a lot of other movies that have great monsters in them too um we'll do i'll, I'll put i'll put a link to uh studio adi and they've got three or four youtube videos of like kind of the making of the um the monster and it's it's cool to kind of see some back backstage stuff but um yeah the monster's great but there's a lot of other great monsters right um, yeah. I think that there's not a lot of other great depictions of alcoholic parents in horror. Yeah, not 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 at least in this context. You know, no. like it, it's it's almost always used as uh, the driver of action. You know, and like I, I think probably as the best example is The Shining. Right? It is only through Jack Torrance's alcoholism that the action drives, you know, that we, that we end up in peril. Mm -hmm. You can make the argument maybe tangentially. That's where we end up, you know, Mm, because of, but, but not really, you know, mom's not drunk when she's driving the car. She's, you know, trying to kind of do the right thing. And, you know, to, to go back to the uh, monster for a second, like what I love about that, it's all fucking practical effect. You can tell, like when you see it in the movie, it is practical effects. It looks like it's there. It's it and it is a very corporeal monster. And I think it would be really easy if you know the the director decided to make it more esoteric or not show it or like only show it as a shadow or, but like, I think there is a conscious decision to make this monster real, which here's my big question for you, Mike. Uh Oh, is the monster real? Is it a real thing? Well, let's, let's ring that spoiler bell in case, in case, in case somebody hasn't seen this movie. Short, uh, short description. A mother and a daughter must confront a terrifying monster when they break down on a deserted road. It's a little bit like Cujo. Don't you think? Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'll, yeah, yeah, okay. It's got a great monster in it. It's a really scary. Mm-hmm. It's a really scary movie. You can watch it on Netflix. Let's ring the spoiler bell, and we'll 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 get into some of the ending of the movie. So, do you think it's real? Of course, it's real. 
Really? Yeah. Like what? Like like what? I so I think that there is an acceptable reading of this movie, where Kathy is drunk, is supposedly driving her kid wherever, and creates this 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 car accident. Hits this tow truck driver. Does something that's bad. You know, whatever creates this bad scenario and you know this is effectively how Lizzie has created this story to make peace with everything well all right what do you think? You're, you, too much you're trying to pull what I pulled last week with John Langan and John Langan shot me down <laughs> right I don't think I, John's not here, <laughs> motherfucker. It's just you. No, I don't. I don't. I, I don't. I, I don't. I don't like your reading. I don't. I, don't, I choose. I choose not. <laughs> I choose not to accept it. Um, no, I don't. I think. I think that there's too many other. There's too many other characters. That there's too much. Uh, kind of other stuff. Like if you were gonna do it that way, the way to do it would be. Uh, these are memories that she has, and she's trying to like come to terms with them after the fact. Um, but I don't, I, I don't think you're given, you're, you're not given any indication that what you're seeing is either through Lizzie's eyes, through the kid's eyes, right. Or purposefully or, or, or that there, that there's something unreal out there. I think that the, I think that the monster is, is, is very real and is very real on, on purpose. And, and I think it's very real because the the monster is supposed to be a representation of how she sees uh, how Lizzie sees either her mom or her mom's alcoholism. Sure, and I, I, th- I think yeah. I think I think that that I think that by making it unreal, kind of doesn't kind of takes away from the movie, right? I don't know if it takes away from the movie, but like I totally get the parallels, right? And that was the immediate thing that came to my mind. But as I've rewatched it again, most of the POV in this movie, if not all of it, I don't want to say all of it because they could be missing a scene or two, but all of the POV is through Lizzie. It's Lizzie's flashbacks, right? It's Lizzie looking at these moments where her mom is totally fucked shit up. Now, what you do get is like, some justification on mom's level, you know, like you kind of get some of her backstory, but I don't see like, you know, whatever. If we're really living, you know, Lizzie's life here, then it's a slick road. Her mom's a little drunk. She runs over a tow truck driver and, and what, what the only other people that die in that road, right. Are, um, the paramedics. Yeah. Do they die? Yeah, I think they yeah, die, both right? the paramedics die. Yeah, I don't know. I I think I think it's a stretch. I think it's a stretch. Yeah, I think, I, think, I, I I agree. Okay. I think it probably is. Too. All right, all right. So let me let me ask you this: at the end of the movie, do you think that uh, do you think that the mom Kathy is, is she redeemed at the end? I I don't think she needs redemption, right? Ooh. Mostly from all the shit that I talked about before, like. This movie humanizes her as somebody that suffers from, you know, alcoholism. And that doesn't mean it's not her fault. But by the you get these moments, you know, where she tries so fucking hard and she's ultimately what she's taking Lizzie to be with her dad. Right. Mm -hmm. And 
some of that is like, get in the fucking car, I'm going to take you to your dad, you don't appreciate me, and blah, blah, blah. But a lot of that is she realizes she's all fucked up. And she, like, meaning Lizzie, is going to be better with her father. And the self-sacrifice of putting her in the car and driving her to be with her dad, I think, is where she gets her redemption. All the shit with the monster and stuff, obviously, you know, like, that's all pretty standard self-sacrificing mom stuff. But I think it's like, you know, I, I think the redemption in the film starts as soon as she gets in the car with the intent to, to bring Lizzie to a better person, uh, you know, sacrificing her own relationship in the process. Because you know they're never going to talk again, you know, or at least it'll be a long fucking time. Yeah. No, that's that's a that's a that's interesting kind of kind of reading and perspective on it. I mean, as as I was watching the movie, I couldn't I couldn't help but think about the um, the battle cry of the of the terrible parent, which is, I would do anything for my kid. Have you ever heard somebody say that? Yeah. Oh. Oh. I would. I, mean, I would. I would and, and she does. And Kathy winds up doing winds up sacrificing herself for her kid, but uh, when. Whenever you say I would do anything for my kid, uh, usually that's that's followed by a by a but, right? I would I would do anything for my kid except you know wake up on time to to drive. Right. So you know, or I would do anything for my kid, but I, I you know I can't do this or that or whatever you know. And, yeah. and and I think I think that we get we get a really um, kind of poignant moment with uh, the with with. Uh, Kathy getting ready to, ready to take Lizzie to the school play, right? And, yeah. and and she hasn't been there to take her to any of the other like the practices, and she hasn't been there to like help her along. She hasn't been there, but she's but she's put everything. She got her crap together for one day, and she's gonna she's gonna go to the to the performance, right? And Lizzie doesn't want her to go because. Yeah. You know, it's that it goes back to this thing like, you know, raising a kid. That's a lot of work. Yep. You know, that, that that's like and you can't just come by at the end and say, oh, but I would do anything and I would sacrifice myself. and I would do this and I would do that. And I would, you know, that doesn't that doesn't make up for the fact that it's just a lot of hard work. You yeah. know, you got to put so, in. So that it any excuse to pimp this book, because it like I think it changed my world and how I felt about parenting. But the name of the book is all joy and no fun. And the, the crux of the book is there is so much garbage that just goes into being a parent, like wiping butts and making dinner. And, uh, and as a result, like, it's it's hard, long work, and I think that's the thing. You can't just be there to to reap the reward, you know, to see the soccer game. Your happy ass has to, you know, has to physically, you know, be at those practices or figure out the car rides or, you know, whatever it is. Clean up the stinky clothes afterwards. I don't know. But, yeah, the name of the book, uh, book is All Joy and No Fun by Jennifer Sr., and it... Uh, it is the only book I've read on parenting. I don't know, because I don't want to be one of those people. Mm-hmm. But it made me feel really good about the fact that being a parent is a fucking dirge sometimes. You know, like it's just, you, you just get through it. 
you keep your nose down and you just get through it. And that's okay. Like, I think sometimes we, not to turn this into a parenting podcast, it's a, this took a little strange turn, but I think sometimes as parents, we are trained to not say that sometimes it sucks to be a parent. You know, like we have to think it's like our calling and we're the best ones out there. And I love my kids and, you know, they're, they're, you know, they are products of me that I'm very proud of, but it's hard. Like every day parenting can be tough, man. I, exactly. I mean, I think that the, that the takeaway from this movie isn't that a good parent sacrifices themselves for their child, like in a bodily, physical way when the monster is there. Right. Right. I think yeah. because because in the end, like that's what a parent's supposed to do. That's what we would all do. Right. We would. Right. Right. And and in it's 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 difficult to not give it a reading. Like imagine, um, imagine, and I'm sure I, I guarantee you this happened. Right. There's somebody who has trouble drinking, with drinking, and they have kids, and they are maybe not doing such a good job and they watch this movie, how would they see this movie? Um, and I, I have to, I have to break it to you. Like she doesn't get redeemed because she sacrificed herself at the end because that's what a parent's supposed to do. That's what we would all do. Right. But the good parents are the ones that, you know, sacrifice every day and they wake up early and they do stuff they don't want to do. And they on and on. Yeah. So, I, well, so 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 I think I think that we should we should try not to have um, uh, uh, the, uh, the 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 kind of the kind of the redemption fantasy that I know that we've talked about before when it comes to you know the uh, the the post apocalyptic right the post apocalyptic dude that doesn't you know he 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 doesn't do very well in the normal world but then the apocalypse happens and then he comes into his own and he's the one that you know, saves the day or whatever. Um, yeah. That, well, and a couple of things to make sure that we don't sound entirely heartless here. I don't think anybody's beyond redemption, right? Like, uh, it's not too late, right? In, in the context of trying to do what's right and whatever, which is why I, I don't think she's, I don't think Kathy's beyond redemption, right? I think she redeems herself when, she decides to give that child up, right? To say, I cannot provide those things for you, either because I'm an alcoholic or because I'm too selfish or because it doesn't matter what her justification is. She's trying to do what's right for her kid. And, you know, I think that is an important delineation in being a good versus a bad parent is not being selfish because there is a selflessness that comes along with being a parent. And sometimes that selflessness is like, I'm not the best thing for you right now. You need to go do something else, you know, or whatever. Does that make sense? I mean, it does, but then again, I don't know. I just don't, I don't want to be so hard on poor Kathy. I know. I hear you. I hear you, you know, and it's hard to be hard on Kathy, but you know, if she's but goddamn it, Mike is yeah. Here. I, I, all all, I, all I'm saying is that it, it would be uh, for 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 a parent like Kathy, it's a long, hard road with a lot of like yeah. work, like and yep. a lot of stuff that's like not fun, kind of over and over again. Um, but 
it's I mean some of those some of those scenes of the of the flashbacks that Lizzie has about how Kathy and and the boyfriend or whatever act. I mean it's awful, you know. Yeah, they oh, are. Oh, undoubtedly they are. They, are they, horrible, they are. Right? They are monsters, literally. Yeah. Right. Yes. Um. How, what did, so I sent you a link to a and th- this made a made made its rounds a couple maybe a year or two ago maybe I don't know it was a um. I want to say they were from Norway. I don't know, like a nonprofit group from Scandinavia made these made this PSA, um, and basically it uses horror. We'll put a link to in in the show notes. It, it uses horror kind of tropes and monsters in a way that shows basically what it's showing is like. When you drink, you look like a monster to your kids. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I thought incredibly powerful. And what it does that I think uh, this movie shares is creating scenes where you see the the child's POV. You know, like you get it entirely through that field of vision. And I think sometimes we don't necessarily think about drinking or alcoholism in that context. And that is totally and completely fucked. <laughs> you know, it like is. it's like, Oh my God. Yeah, it is. So yeah, super effective and not entirely dissimilar to the series of PSAs. Um, I think it was like truth.org or whoever did They used horror tropes about like, um, like the, the one I remember is somebody going in and is like, can I get a pack of cigarettes? And he was like, yeah, That'll be this much, right? And she cuts off a piece of her cheek. And he's like, no, nope, it'll be more than that. And so she's got to cut off some of her lip and be like a little bit more. And so by the end, she's got this like pound of flesh. You mm. know? But it is totally fucked and very much uh, u- utilizing that horror element. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah. So, yeah, no, I think I think that that. That that double that double meaning of the monster in this movie is something that sure. that's really gonna really made it special for me. So yep. Well, and before we get on to the third act, I, I will tell you, I think one of the most evocative scenes in that movie is not one full of horror, but it's full of pathos. Like uh, I think Mom is drinking so much she's made herself sick and she's like passed out on the bathroom floor, and um, Lizzie comes in and like just holds her you know Mm -hmm. like oh man like ruined me you know like ruined me because it is inverting what should be happening you know like it is entirely throwing what we would normally see as the the mother-daughter relationship completely on its ear and just left me in pieces man i ah so uh, yeah. I mean, I think got to check think, out the monster. Got, yeah. I mean, I think I think that the takeaway, I think that the takeaway from this movie should be that, um, you know, just because a parent can't put in that hard work, you know, to get to get better, um, doesn't mean they don't love their kids. And, yeah. And, oh, and, I agree. And I think I think that's uh, I think that's something that we don't that we don't talk about enough, you know, because you'd have to say. You know, I think I think it would be easy to say, like, obviously, well, she doesn't love her kids or she doesn't she wouldn't do anything for her kids or, you know, that kind of stuff. But but yeah, no, I think I think that I think that that's the I think that's the real takeaway rather than, um, you know, a, a redemption arc or, or, or something like that. 
It's like, yeah. you know, all, you know, and not, not, maybe not all, but you know, moms love their daughters. Yeah. And, uh, and even though they can't get sober and even though they do all these shitty things, they still love them. So, yeah. Oh, I think that distinction is really, really important that, uh, being a great parent doesn't preclude loving your kid or, you know, loving your kid doesn't automatically mean that you're going to be a great parent. And I like, I get that. And I think that well said, Mike, I think that's, that's super important. So, all right. So moving oh, on to the finally, third. finally, we got it. We got, we got, we, we, we got, we got to the crux of this movie. All right. So the application. All right. Yeah. I think we already uh, kind of talked about it, but okay. Yeah, we did. But there are a couple of things I want to mention real quick. Uh, number one is a fantastic article on the fix uh, about how horror, as in the genre, can be used to treat uh, addiction and other stuff like that and PTSD. There is some discussion about how viewing alcoholism, drug abuse, uh, you know, general physical abuse through a screen provides for some people, not all people, uh, a method to come to terms with some of the impact of that on their lives and how horror, because of its transgressive elements already makes it even safer. You know, it's not this mainstream stuff necessarily. There uh, usually is, uh, you know, another, some more space removed from actual reality in that horror, unlike other genres can really get into the the nitty gritty because of the space that it provides to address that. So check it out. It's by Helena Hovitz. Hovitz. I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing your name, but yeah, it's, it can be found on the fix. And I, I just, I just thought the article was spot on. Absolutely. One of those things that we were talking about today. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think, I think also that, that horror's got that, um, that ability that I think speculative fiction has where, you can present something that is obviously obviously a fiction, right? This monster that is attacking, that is attacking this um, this mother and a daughter in a car. It's kind of like Cujo, you know. That's the kind of the that's the Trojan horse that gets you in, and then it has all of these really poignant and real things to say about about having an alcoholic parent, and. Uh, I don't. I don't know how you present that to an audience without and uh, uh, in, in being able to get it past their defenses any better than a horror movie, um, because otherwise you have like a you have like a Hallmark movie, which I know is a big deal at the Unsel House, but I don't watch them. So uh, they are a massive thing at the Unsel Household. We're gearing up for uh, like. 30 Hallmark Christmas films or something. So it'll be great. But you get what I'm saying, Thanks right? For, you know? No, no, no. I totally get what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. I think, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I think that space is important. And what we do with that space matters. And sometimes if we just want to go and have fun, that's totally fine. I love that. That's great for some folks. But I also think movies like this especially – that provoke conversation uh, and discussion, the ability for horror movies to engage on an academic level, I mean, is the entire reason why we're here, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think this, uh, this, this is a great example of that. Sweet. But you know who didn't think this was a good example of that? 
Oh, shit. Yeah. You know, not everybody liked this movie. Of course, not everybody likes every movie. But Anonymous Amazon customer is back. How did how did this movie fare on Amazon in general? Um I think it was pretty mixed. Like I think it was 12 or 13% um one star, but I'm relatively certain it got a run on Amazon Prime, so Oh, really? Huh. Yeah, I think so. I could be wrong. Huh, cuz read uh, read this review and actually so 14% one star, 26% five star. And it's pretty, I mean, it's got a pretty even distribution. Yeah. Huh. Interesting. So. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I would I would say that I, I, I would guess it didn't because it only has 71 customer reviews. So which, which, mm. which would be pretty low if they went, if it came Truth. on Prime. But who knows, yep. you know. Um, so let's read this thing. All right. Do it. So disappointed. What a load of crap. So many real-world inconsistencies. The director must have been born in a barn. A tow truck driver that parks far away from the car he's going to tow with the lights off? Working on what? the Working on the axle of a rear-wheel drive car that doesn't have a front axle? The Is that, a, is that real? Though, I mean, that's true. I don't know if he was... I don't know if he mentions an axle, but... I mean... So, 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 so technically there are... There's like these kind. Of, I mean, it's dumb. It's dumb. Right. That's <laughs> fair that's, enough. That, that that that's that's a dumb criticism. Uh, the monster not attacking the girl while she's alone in the woods, but choosing to go after the lake. It's it's because it's a story, man. Right. Who writes these idiotic movies? Oh, that's that's supposed to be a question. He used a period there. Hold on. Uh, who writes these <laughs> idiotic movies? He doesn't know we are here. The teddy bear gives him away? Really? Wasn't she mashing the horn the whole friggin' time? Two exclamation points there. Uh, somebody give me direct the director's email so I can inform him of his stupidity. Three exclamation points. The never-ending story was more believable. Man. This movie needs more luck dragons. It's, I will tell you it that. It does need more luck dragons. Yeah, uh, and, and rock eaters, too. I mean, there's all there's yeah, there's always gonna be there's always gonna be that guy that's got a yeah, and and my guess is Brian Bertino does not give a fuck what you want to no, email him about. No, so. you can you can, <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But hey, man, whatever. Okay, so here's the big news, Mike. Okay, what is it? One of two things is gonna happen. We haven't haven't completely ironed out the details yet. All right, but our our hope is. Our next episode, we're going to have uh, Larry Fessenden himself on to talk about the Frankenstein myth and his new movie, Depraved. And then the episode after that is going to be about the movie Don't Breathe and the concept of the female captive, Ooh. which there's been a lot of badass writing about as of late. Really? So, Excellent. Yep. So we'll have lots of cool stuff to talk about there. Uh, in the meantime... Class dismissed.